Welcome to the Better Buildings podcast, Canada's conversation about opportunities for improvement in the built environment. Today I'm here with Christian Wallace of Acoustatech to discuss the role of acoustics in improving the built environment. Welcome to the podcast, Christian. Thanks so much for having me, Peter. It's very exciting to be here. Absolutely a pleasure. So why are acoustics important to a building's performance? Well, there's a, there's a lot of things we can talk about on that topic, Peter, but uh, from, from my perspective, you know, being a manufacturer and having worked in soundproofing for almost seven years now, uh, one of the main things is, is comfort, you know, the comfort of the people moving into these buildings. And uh, if we're thinking about big cities that I normally work in, like Toronto or New York, um, I mean, we're talking about buildings that are um, pretty high end. You know, these, these condos, for example, in residential, um, you know, construction, the, these condos are not going for cheap. So that means that there's certain expectations when people are moving in. So definitely a developer should be looking into soundproofing because, you know, it's a sign of quality. Good soundproofings in a building, it's a sign of quality, it's a sign of luxury. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons why very high-end hotels um, don't think twice about investing in acoustics because, you know, it's, it's something that'll be noticed right away. Whenever somebody comes into the building, they're comfortable, they're happy. Um, and uh, more and more people, you know, are, are, are having these expectations. They're more informed, they're informed buyers. Um, and unfortunately, you know, we've been um, dealt, we had to deal with some scenarios where people had to correct mistakes, where they weren't uh, maybe informed enough, uh, or they didn't think it was important enough, uh, where they had to come in and start all over again and uh, pay big bucks, which at the end is, uh, is not something you want to be doing. You know, it's, it's better off thinking about it from the very beginning, for sure. Are you also finding there are challenges in other aspects of new construction that then lead to a need to focus on acoustics in a new way? Um, I think, well, for instance, mean? of the, the, you know, the density of a building, the density of people within it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Just the fact that, uh, you know, these high rise buildings have uh, tremendous amounts of people inside and as, as we move on, these buildings are not just, uh, you know, residential buildings. They're mixed with commercial spaces as well. There's going to be gyms, there's going to be pools, there's going to be theaters, there's going to be uh, spinning rooms. There's a lot of different things that come into play. And it's not just the normal living environment of a person. It's also, you know, what are we doing if somebody's dropping weights on the floor? What are we doing if somebody's spinning, you know? So as we progress into these bigger and builder buildings, they become like tiny cities. Um, and uh, especially from people, you know, moving from the country or maybe somewhere where there's not a lot of people coming into a building, uh, they're not used to living with, you know, all these people within one space, you know, so it's not because they're living with people, you know, that with that many neighbors that they want to hear them. <laughs> so we need to make sure we're doing a, a good job there. And definitely, you know, um, to, to, to keep on answering the first question you asked, Peter, uh, the reputation of a developer is always going to be on the line. Um, I've, I've heard about some stories where, you know, they didn't do the right thing and that reputation, you know, follows them. 
uh, where, hey, you know, maybe they're, they're not as high quality as they, you know, were, were showing or they were uh, saying they would be. Um, and, and that definitely is something to think about. So what are the errors that they're making? Well, the thing is, um, you know, here in Canada, Peter, there, there are a couple of things that, that we're probably going to be touching on a little bit later as well. But uh, for instance, uh, building code requirements. Um, there are STC requirements, which are airborne. Uh, there are IIC requirements, which are impact. And there's minimum requirements by building code. Um, however, for example, on impact, impact noises. Uh, there is no requirement by building code regulations in Canada. There is only a recommendation, okay, which is a recommendation of 55, which, which we can talk about a little bit later. Um, but what that means is, is that since it's not a requirement, developers and architects and designers are not necessarily putting too much focus into it because it's not a requirement. However, STC and airborne noises are required. So they tend to focus a lot on that aspect. You know, hey, what are we gonna do about the STC? What are we gonna do to control airborne sounds? And that's great. But at the end, most of the complaints that come in to an acoustical engineer's ears or to somebody like us, which who are manufacturers, most of the complaints are from impact noises. So, hey, I can hear my upstairs neighbors walking, moving furniture jumping on the floor. So to answer your question, one of the biggest mistakes is thinking that IIC is not as important because it's not a requirement. So what happens sometimes is that uh, developers and architects are not going to be spending too much time on thinking about an underlayment, a proper underlayment underneath the floor. Uh, or if we're talking about wood construction, maybe not thinking enough about the acoustical clips that are going to go underneath, maybe the layers of drywall that are going to be that are going to be used, things like that. Yeah, and I guess that's also what I was getting at a little bit in my second question: is are there materials that are being used in new construction that kind of you know lend themselves to requiring a new look at acoustics trends well, and things like wood, for instance? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, as as we move on. Um, wood is becoming more and more popular as a building material, of course, uh, and there's new products, you know, coming out every day. And, um, you know, we need to just make sure that the numbers that are being exposed to us, we understand how they were tested. That's a big, big factor as well, which we can talk about too. For sure. So let's start with um, acoustics for different types of construction. What are your recommendations when you're dealing with concrete? Um, so for concrete, Peter, that's a, that's a very good question. Um, you know, since concrete is mostly what we see here in Toronto, um, it, it becomes very obvious that people are used to working with concrete. So in some cases, people think, you know, concrete is easy. Uh, you know, they say, hey, we're working with a concrete building. Acoustics is already taken care of kind of deal. Um, and that's true to some extent. So if we're talking about concrete, Let's just say that there are two ratings that need to be respected. Like I said before, there's STC and there's IIC. However, when it comes to STC, the way we control airborne sounds is with the mass and if I can say the heaviness of the building. So a concrete building just by itself, let's just say there's no, there's no flooring, there's no suspended ceilings, there's no underlayment whatsoever, just the structure by itself pretty much is already respecting building code, which is STC 50. 
that's why people say, hey, you know, concrete is easy, is easy for acoustics. It's already pretty much there. And that's true. However, for impact noises, that's not true. So a concrete slab just by itself, to give you an idea, Peter, uh, is going to perform maybe around 28 to 31 IIC, uh, which is nowhere close to what the recommended minimum is of 55. So in those cases, you know, concrete, the biggest um, challenge for them is high frequency noises. So that's the biggest enemy for concrete buildings, high frequency. So if you've ever been to a concrete building, I don't know if you've had this experience, uh, if you walk in on the bare slab, if you drop something on the floor, like your keys, for example, you're going to have a very high pitch noise. So that's what we call a high frequency noise, um, which is relatively easy to control, but with the right materials, with the right underlayments, for example, because in the market, there's a lot of different things. You know, there's, there's foams, there's corks, there's rubbers. Um, however, if probably you've noticed this, but uh, maybe let's say 20, 30 years ago, uh, high rise buildings, there was pretty much only carpet within the spaces. That's because carpet is amazing for high frequency noises. And up until this day, there's nothing that beats carpet. Carpet is still one of the things, one of the floor coverings that is going to really impact high frequency noises. Excellent. And how about steel construction? When it comes to steel, Peter, um, it's all about decoupling efficiently because there's a, a lot of... Um, components within steel structure. And the reality is, is that we're dealing with a combination of concrete and a combination of steel, you know, together. And it makes for a building that makes a great environment for vibration and energy to travel, meaning that they're gonna travel very, very quickly within those spaces. So it's all about decoupling these materials as much as possible. And what I mean by decoupling, I mean separating materials with either, uh, you know, rubber type uh, solutions, um, you know, a good underlayment underneath the floor, uh, working that cavity space. Um, that is very, very important where we're talking about steel is dealing with that cavity and making sure that we're filling that cavity with something, with some sort of insulation. Uh, and also when it comes to the ceiling, you know, using acoustical hangers, um, you know, the layers of drywall you're using underneath. So what I would say, you know, for steel construction, Peter, is just thinking about all those components and decoupling them as much as possible. I think that would be uh, the, the suggestion I would have for steel. And we were talking about, uh, you know, the use of wood in large buildings. Are you seeing any measures that need to be taken there? In wood, the particular um, challenge there is the low frequency. If you're comparing it to concrete, it's high frequency, but wood it's low frequency. So, you know, when you walk in those spaces, you have really boom, boom, hollow noises when you walk on wood. Well, that's its biggest challenge. And low frequency noises, the, um, the particularity of it is that they're very hard to control because they create a lot more energy than high frequency noises in concrete. So wood, by definition, it's gonna be uh, lighter weight it's gonna be uh, made out of less mass. So because it's lighter weight, there's less mass, there's less rigidity within the building, we need to make sure that we're adding mass some way or somehow. Um, that's why, you know, very often concrete or gypcrete toppings are used in wood construction. 
So when it comes to wood construction, there's, there's two that we're seeing a lot, of course, light wood frame construction. But most importantly now, uh, I don't know if you've seen this, Peter, but certainly we have, uh, there tends to be a very uh, interesting trend going towards mass timber yeah. construction. Um, here in Toronto, they're, they're really adopting this new type of uh, construction. Uh, but there again, it comes with a challenge because it's, although massive, it's very lightweight compared to concrete. So we need to make sure we're adding um, some type of mass some way, and we need to make sure we're using the right materials to decouple and attack and control, I should say, low frequency noises in wood. And some of these buildings, especially mass timber construction are pursuing certain goals in terms of, you know, the sourcing of materials, uh, reducing uh, GHG emissions, this type of thing. Does that, do those yeah. goals tend to get compromised once you have to start, you know, coming in and improving the acoustics? Absolutely. Absolutely, Peter. And that's where it gets uh, a little bit challenging for architects sometimes, you know, making uh, like, for example, passive housing projects or making them, uh, keeping them very eco-friendly and keeping them green as much as possible. Uh, I think that does become a challenge, but we have, you know, probably up until now been involved with Mass Timber for six or seven years. Even though there's not as much construction happening uh, right now, it's certainly catching on. But we saw this, um, these new types of structures, you know, we thought they had a really nice future. So from the very beginning, we started working a lot on our R&D to try to find a way to soundproof these buildings efficiently while still keeping that eco-friendly aspect of it. Uh, meaning that we came up with solutions that uh, allow you to not use concrete or gypcrete topping, not having to deal with uh, rubber petroleum type materials, uh, you know, while still keeping a very good performance. Because the thing is, is that these mass timber buildings are not only being used for commercial spaces, uh, they're now being used for residential spaces and high-end residential. Uh, which means that we're trying to achieve, you know, mid 50s on the IIC, mid 50s on the STC. Um, and very often what is happening in these buildings is that they want to have an exposed ceiling because I mean, mass timber is beautiful. You know, it's a beautiful material and they don't want to hide it. But if we're not having that space to work with, with acoustics, it makes it very, very challenging. But we have definitely come up with solutions that can help with that. So for a project like that, then, is, are you finding your champion is probably more likely going to be the acoustical engineer than the architect? Uh, you mean as them having the most impact in the... Yeah, and being able to bring in the importance of acoustics and understand that, you know, sometimes that, that vision has to be compromised. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, uh, the acoustical engineers are our go-to guys. Uh, we need to work hand in hand. And uh, the thing is, is that even acoustical engineers... Um, they're becoming more and more informed about these types of buildings, but the reality of the whole market is, is that not a lot of people have much experience with these, these uh, structures. So it's hard to tell. So from the very basics of acoustics, it's very hard to say what's what with 100% certainty. They're, it's so unpredictable. We can only uh, give, you know, approximates. We can only give ideas based off what we've done prior. Uh, but with mass timber, there's such little history preceding it 
that it's very difficult sometimes to say what's what. So we have to work very closely with these acoustical engineers. We sometimes have to, you know, do mock-ups. We have to go on site. We have to test to make sure that what we're thinking is going to work is indeed going to work. This brings me back to an earlier point you made that it was better to get in early in a project rather than later on. Um, I'm interested about that. The difference between, you know, when you're at the new construction phase or when you're going in with a retrofit or a renovation. Um, tell me about, you know, which kind of improvements are possible at that early stage that might not be possible at a later retrofit stage. Absolutely. So if and this, I mean, this involves every type of structure, but if we keep it on on wood construction, for example, most of the challenges come with the thickness uh, or the height of the solutions that absolutely need to be accounted for from the very beginning. For example, if somebody says, hey, Christian, we're working on this mass timber job um, and we want to have the ceilings exposed and we need to reach mid 50s on STC, mid 50s on IIC, how can we do that? Well, the way we do that is by working with the only place that we can work on, which is on top of the CLT or the mass timber, right? However, by working on top, we can't just slap an underlayment down with, an, with a flooring and call it a day. We need something that is gonna be a lot more robust, a lot more complex. Um, and what that means is, is that we're talking about solutions that are gonna be significantly thicker. So let's say an underlayment can be anywhere from two millimeters to 10 millimeters thick. Here, we're talking about solutions that are gonna potentially be two inches, two and a half inches, sometimes even three inches thick, which is significant. And if it's not planned prior, I mean, we're gonna get in big trouble. You know, it's things that need to be thought out from the very beginning because everything comes into play. You know, every other aspect of the construction within those spaces needs to consider that height. And that's something that we need to address from the very beginning. As if we are too, too much in advance, there's not much that we can do. And it has happened where I say, hey, guys, yeah, absolutely. We do have a solution. And this is what it is. And they say, Christian, we can't allow for that type of thickness. And then we have no other choice but to have them work from the ceiling and have them hide that beautiful finished wood, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you were also earlier kind of explaining some of the reasons that this is such an important process for uh, high-rise condo luxury sort of type of building. Tell me now, you also started to hint at this, let's get into more of the sort of, you know, commercial industrial buildings. Where are you finding that, you know, acoustics can be problematic in, in those worlds as well versus, you know, somebody coming home wanting some peace and quiet while they're sleeping. But if somebody's at work, there can also be needs for, you know, acoustics to really come into play, right? Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent, Peter. Um, for, for commercial spaces, there's no real requirements by building code, which means that results can be all over the place. The, the thing with commercial spaces is that sometimes developers don't really know what type of tenants they're going to have within those spaces. Sometimes they do, but sometimes they don't. So what that means is that if we're working, for example, on a commercial space where there's going to be um, a, a law firm, or even architectural spaces. There are some instances where these offices still need some peace and comfort, but most uh, importantly, uh, confidentiality. You know, if they're talking about things that are very important and kind of sensitive, you don't want necessarily your upstairs or downstairs neighbor to hear what you're talking about with your clients. So even though there's no requirements per se, 
they still need to shoot for a acceptable rating. And what I mean by that, Peter, is that when we're working with clients on commercial spaces, um, we are always recommending to shoot for at the very least mid, mid 40s in STC and in IIC to have an acceptable and comfortable environment for work. Even though they're not gonna be living there, they're still working there and spending a lot of time there. So it's still important. So don't design for, you know, 30s or don't design for, hey, let's see what we get, you know? Let's try to at least shoot for mid 40s, which is, you know, normally where we find ourselves. Can you share some examples of other large scale projects you've worked on where acoustics were particularly key? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, we've worked in, in a lot of different types of projects, Peter, uh, meaning that we've worked in the hotel industry and in residential and commercial. Uh, but definitely when we're talking about high end hotels, for example, we've worked on several of the Four Seasons hotels. Uh, several of the Ritz Cardinals hotels. We just finished a couple in Montreal, actually. Uh, and these places, just to give you um, maybe a, a range of what we're shooting for, let's say normal residential spaces, we're going to be shooting for mid 50s. Higher end residential spaces, you know, luxury condos, we're going to be shooting for low 60s, STC and ISE. But in these spaces, we're shooting for mid 60s which are starting to get very, very up there, you know? So uh, there's no room for error. These are projects where we need to make sure we're matching the right flooring with the right underlayment. And sometimes people don't even think about that. Maybe I can talk about this a little bit, is that the flooring itself can affect the end result of your assembly at a much larger scale that people think. Um, we've compared engineered floors versus another engineered floor. And just by the quality and the composition of the floor, you can get a difference between three to five points just by the quality of the floor. And people think that it's all in the underlayment, right? The underlayment plays a big part, of course, for example. But at the end, it's the whole assembly that needs to, you know, give that result. So yeah, definitely those high-end hotels have been a, a, a interesting channel, a challenge. Uh, we've done some of the Germain hotels here in Toronto, uh, in Montreal, in Ottawa. Uh, we recently um, worked on the Icon building, which is uh, the tallest residential building in Ottawa. Um, it's still concrete, but still we needed to make sure that we were hitting those mid-50s numbers. Uh, one interesting project here in Toronto that I can maybe talk about a little bit was, um, it's called the Brit Condos. Uh, they're downtown. And this was a very interesting retrofit because it was from a hotel. I don't know if you're familiar with the Sutton Hotel that was built in the 60s. So this hotel, um, you know, got um, renovated into a condo building. So they kept the hotel portion of the building and added uh, the condo portion to it. So it became a project that was very interesting because we were dealing with an older building with a new building attached to it. So we needed to make sure we were doing the right thing in terms of the solutions. So no, it was not just a simple underlayment and a flooring. It was something a little bit more complex than that. So do, this, do the same rules apply in that sort of situation? Like are there allowances made kind of almost like grandfather clauses for older buildings that don't necessarily have to perform at the same rate as a new one? 
They, yes, we actually had to work really, really closely with the acoustical engineers to find the right solution. Uh, we did have to, you know, uh, comply with new building code regulations, even if we're talking about a retrofit of an older building. Mm. Um, which is particular because sometimes in New York, what happens with older buildings is that we don't have to comply with the new building codes. We need to mm. comply with older building codes, which sometimes can get a little bit uh, confusing. But we still wanted to hit those building code requirements, even though it was an older building and a retrofit. Um, so we had to go way above and beyond just a, a regular underlayment here. After doing a lot of different mock-ups, we came down with a great, the right solution for this to, uh, to be able to hit that. Our audience are consulting engineering firms in a more general sense. What, do you, what would you say they really need to understand about acoustics that uh, maybe they're not necessarily sort of, you know, uh, reaching out to at this point? So for engineers or, or anybody that's, that's hearing this, Peter, I think the most important thing to understand is that ratings uh, don't come from a single product. They come from an assembly. So it's not just up to the underlayment or the acoustical clip or the resilient channel or the bad insulation. It's not all up to them to give us a result. So we need to understand that the ratings come from the whole assembly. Um, also, I mean, every structure has its specific needs. Like I said before, we need to treat a concrete building, a steel building and a wood building completely different from one another. Uh, I can never go see a, a client and say, hey, here's this product. It's an amazing product. Use it wherever you want and you're going to be okay because it's not just the case. Whenever somebody says, hey, Christian, uh, what do you recommend if I want to reach this rating? Well, the following question is, well, where are you working on? How thick is your concrete slab? Do you have a suspended ceiling? So these are things that need to be thought about a lot. Um, also, you know, I'm talking a lot about underlayments and flooring because that's the world we come from. You know, that's that's the world we know. Um, so each floor has its specific needs. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that because uh, there's a lot of different types of floorings nowadays, Peter. There's there's wood flooring, there's laminate, there's vinyl. Vinyl is making a lot of noise in the market. You know, it's being used a lot in, in condo buildings. Uh, there's ceramic tile. Where I'm getting to is that every type of floor has its specific needs as well. We can't just say, hey, let's go with a very thick underlayment and maybe because it's thicker, it's gonna be better and match it with a floating floor. Well, what happens if that floor, the joints are not made you know, to be laid over a very thick, you know, compressible underlayment, those joints may crack. So it's not just about the acoustics as well. It's also about the mechanical stability of those solutions that are coming with them. And maybe the last thing that I want to mention, you know, for the audience is that we're dealing with informed buyers more than ever before. If they don't know those questions to ask, they definitely have representatives that are going to ask those questions. So definitely investing in acoustics is, is something that is very, very important because people are home more than ever before because of this whole situation that we're living, you know? Yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure that the market is being affected in huge ways by the pandemic. But if I were an acoustical engineer at this point, starting up a little, say, you know, kind of almost boutique consultancy firm, if I really want to get out there, where would you say the most demand and opportunity for my services today and is going to be in the future? 
I think residential is going to be a, a, a very good opportunity for acoustical engineers more than ever before. Unfortunately, you know, we were talking about commercial and office spaces before. Those office spaces are very uncertain right now. You know, we don't know what's going to happen. There's not that many projects coming up. Uh, from my point of view, uh, people are home. They're going to be home for a little bit at least. Uh, and even though uh, you know, things are going to get back to normal, I'm sure. People are liking working from home. Some are hating it. Let's just be real. But some people are loving the fact that they're home. They're, they see that they're getting a lot more done. Uh, they're home a little bit more with their kids. They're avoiding the commute. So I think as we go out of this pandemic, people are going to stay home more and more, which means that residential spaces need to reach those good levels of acoustics and acoustical engineers are gonna have to work these spaces and they're gonna be um you know getting a lot more demand from these types of buildings a hundred percent for sure when you're able to get in on one of those projects from the from the ground floor so to speak somebody's gonna build a new uh high rise residential tower and you know you manage to kind of get their ear right at the beginning. What's your kind of primary recommendation for them going forward on that project to, uh, to consider acoustics? Um, the most important thing that I would recommend them to do at the very beginning is to not design uh, to code minimums because it's, you know, unfortunately, a lot of these developers are very much focused on saving you know, and cost effectiveness, which makes sense. You know, it, it absolutely makes sense. But since acoustics uh, and sound control tend to be one of the very last things to come inside a building, um, sometimes we're being cut off because of budget reasons. So from the very beginning, you should be designing for mid 50s ratings and not to code minimums. Even if STC is 50 as a requirement, and even if IIC is not a requirement and only a recommendation, don't design to code minimums. Reach those mid 50s, shoot for those high 50s if possible. Uh, because if you don't have your phone ringing for complaints, you're going to be very, very thankful. And, and believe me, I mean, uh, developers make that mistake once. They, they don't make it twice, right? Most of our biggest clients are going to be those that had trouble in one building and they're not going to have that same thing happen again. So they're going to focus a lot on what they're doing in terms of acoustics. Um, so I think that would be one of my biggest recommendations. And also the thing is, is that now acoustics are quickly becoming a marketing feature. So if I'm talking to a developer or their sales team, I'm encouraging them to promote the fact that they've invested in acoustics. They've invested time and money into making sure that these spaces are comfortable. For example, we've had several you know, uh, projects uh, in Quebec most particularly, where in the sales offices, they are actually promoting the assembly. They have displays with the exact assembly that they used uh, and promoting the fact that, hey, we are thinking about your comfort and this is what we did to address it. So it's definitely becoming a marketing feature. Yeah, that definitely makes a lot of sense and provides a lot of opportunity for our readers going forward in the future. Thank you so much for joining us today, Christian. 
It's been my pleasure, Peter. And uh, yeah, I I'm, was super happy to be here and share a, bit, a little bit of a story here. And uh, any other time you want to do this again, I'll be happy to. All right. Thank you.